Welcome to There's a Better Way. Today's topic is recycling behavior. Despite the rising concern of climate change and sustainability, Americans have not seen a big change in recycling rates over the last few years. Understanding recycling behavior is key to consumer behavior and marketing because consumption is not just about the purchase, but also about usage and disposal of those products. Thus, one pressing question in consumer research is how can we encourage people to recycle more and how can they do it better? Recycling not only minimizes the environmental impact of our consumption, but it can make supply chains more sustainable, reduce the carbon footprint of production, and reduce the costs of energy and waste. Further, the two most important items to recycle in terms of energy savings and waste are aluminum cans and plastic soda bottles. These can reduce the energy costs of manufacturing by up to 95% for aluminum and two-thirds for plastic. Unfortunately, a majority of these products are thrown away. So is there a better way in which we can nudge consumers to recycle more? And can we use the knowledge from behavioral economics and consumer psychology to help find a better way? To talk about these issues, I'm here today with Nicole Sintoff, Assistant Professor of Behavior, Decision-Making and Sustainability at The Ohio State University's College of Food, Agriculture and Environmental Sciences. Welcome to the program, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So uh, Nicole, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your areas of, of research. So I'm an environmental psychologist and I'm a, an assistant professor in the School of Environment and Natural Resources, which uh, within our ag college, where I teach classes to grads as well as undergrads and of course do research. And additionally, I'm a core faculty member in the Sustainability Institute at Ohio State. So at a very broad level, I'm interested in learning about individual level behavior and decision making and sustainable consumption contexts. And most of my work has emphasized energy. So home energy use, thermostat use, energy efficient technology adoption. Um, but I also have a stream of uh, work on waste management. And ultimately my goal is to do research that produces results that can inform behavior change interventions in the real world. Um, so helping the environment as well as consumer welfare. And conceptually speaking, I have a few mm -hmm. different areas of interest. Um, I guess the one most relevant to the RVM project has to do with how consumers are processing information, particularly as part of like marketing messages and how biases or errors in our decision making processes can sway us to make certain choices, regardless of what like the optimal or rational choice may be. Cool. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, that's my uh, uh, near and dear to my heart. A lot of those questions as well of, of how, how consumers make these these odd decisions and how do they come to them. Uh, and you also mentioned in there, and uh, I, I should mention one of my favorite papers. Well, maybe we'll talk about another one is, uh, or on another day uh, that you have about uh, thermostat wars. And I always like to joke that the two things that people uh, fight about the most in relationships are money is number one and thermostats are number two. And so I'm, you know, love to hear about that. If, and, and I'll a plug to, to that research of, for those of you out there to check that out about how thermostats um, and temperatures affect affect people. But today, um, you also mentioned uh, the Sustainability Institute here at Ohio State that you're associated with. So what's that? And uh, can you give us a little information about how that works? Yeah, so it is an interdisciplinary group of over 600 OSU folks engaged in scholarship and teaching pertaining to all various aspects of sustainability. Um, so some of the topics that people focus on are like the circular economy, healthy air, land, and water, 
sustainable energy systems, which is my uh, area of focus. And then we have people from like all different disciplines, engineering, chemistry, soil science, economics, psychology. Uh, and the idea is to foster collaboration um, and move beyond like disciplinary silos so that people are doing like convergent research and teaching sustainability from a variety of perspectives because all of those perspectives are needed to solve the sustainability problems of the future. And yep. in fact, that's how I met Dr. Grant Donnelly, who's the PI of the RBM projects that we're going to be discussing. And we now have several collaborative projects together. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a, a great segue. Uh, it's and it's, you know, the Sustainability Institute is is one of those things that does. It's great how uh, uh, one of these big centers of the research that's going on at Ohio State and kind of getting people out of their offices and their their floors and their own silos, as you as you pointed out, uh, to do that to solve these big these big problems because they're going to need big answers. Um, and so, yeah. So today on this RVM project that that we're talking about, um, which is a reverse vending machine. So tell us a little bit about that that RVM project. Sure. So first, I guess I can tell you what an RVM is. Um, it is a machine that accepts empty cans and bottles. So instead of putting your money in and getting, you know, a can of Coke, you put an empty can of Coke in after you're finished drinking it. Um, and then something happens and we can talk about that something in a little bit. But uh, some mm -hmm. background on the project, it's funded by the Coca-Cola company, which is why I'm probably making a lot of Coke examples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to stick to Coke examples. And full disclosure, yeah, Coke's been a good partner on this and has funded a, a lot of research with Sustainability Institute and around campus. Yeah, so, you know, they do have the, the partnership with Ohio State. Um, and as part of that, they fund some amount of research every year. And actually, our project was the first to receive funding um, through, through this new agreement that was implemented a couple of years ago. And as I also mentioned, this is a collaborative project. So Grant Donnelly of the Fisher College of Business is the PI, I'm the co-PI, and then we work with two postdocs, Atar Herziger and Kristen Hurst, who are also at OSU. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they helped us with the proposal and are working on the project as well. Um, so that's like large scale background, but in terms of what we're trying to do on this project, um, we're trying to do two things. Um, one big picture goal, which aligns with both Coke's and OSU's interests, is to increase materials recovery slash recycling by using these machines. Um, and conceptually, the research team is also interested in learning about how to drive consumers to use the machines and hence to recycle property using techniques that blend incentives with consumer empowerment. And we have three kind of separate experiments that we're going to be implementing over the life of this project. Yeah, so, so these machines, um, you know, I'm, I'm from Iowa, I grew up there, uh, you know, I think you're originally from California, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Iowa, you know, I grew up with this five cent deposit where you went and bought, you know, a two liter bottle of, of Coke, and you had to give a five cent deposit. And when you brought it back, they gave you the five cents. Um, and, and, and so that incentive right there seems to, and, and some data suggests that, that itself increases recycling behavior. Um, and now in Iowa, when you want to go recycle, you go, you have to put it into one of these machines and, and money then comes out. You know, put one can in individually. Is that essentially what 
these RVMs are, or, you know, from those, if there's any people listening from that state up north where they have the infamous 10 cent uh, deposit that was made famous in a classic Seinfeld episode. Is that essentially what's going on here? Sort of. Um, the machines do accept your empties. And in some locations, uh, yes, you can get money back from, you know, putting your, your item in. In our study, we're not going to be giving consumers like actual money back for a variety of reasons. We're going to be looking at okay. you know, other techniques, but in the real world, yes, that happens. Okay. And so, so yeah, tell us about these experiments and th that you're planning and um, what are some of the goals of, of the project? Sure. So I guess I should say that, first of all, we're going to be installing a number of these machines at the Schottenstein Center, which is our large event center here on campus and hosts, I think, up to 20,000 people for per event. Um, and we're going to be using different messaging techniques on the machines themselves, as well as signage around the arena um, to try and encourage patrons to recycle in the machines. Um, a couple of different things that we're looking at. So one is the most efficient size of a donation to increase the machine use while reducing costs to the firm. So for instance, if we, you know, tell people that we're going to give like five cents to a charity versus one cent to a charity versus donate to a charity period without an amount. Um, so, so just to clarify there, so you, you could say something on the machine. Um, we're not going to, you know, it, instead of giving the individual nickels to people say at a basketball game at the Schottenstein center. Cause that seems like I'm not going to go out of my way for a nickel, but if I put it, if I put that bottle in there and then you donate the nickel or even a penny to charity, maybe that would be a, a, a better incentive. And so when you said you can look at different incentives, is that, that's what you're kind of talking about here? Yes. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, we cannot give people uh, direct incentives as part of this project. Um, like I said, in the field, you could do that. But our study is testing different incentive sizes uh, that would go to a charity. And, and it might be, we're talking like five cents, 10 cents, just to get an idea here or something along, like that. Along those lines, yes. Okay. Or, or we might just say, you know, recycle to donate and not give an amount, given that, as you mentioned, these are rather small amounts. So it may be that by providing a number, it could reduce motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you know, ambiguous, it just feel good. So, yeah, so why would, you know, from a rational economic perspective, it seems like it'd be easier just for me to give it the office or give a check than to go out of my way and, and put a can in a, in a machine to try to donate an ambiguous amount of money that I don't even know. So, so why do you think that that would even uh, affect consumer behavior or consumers intentions to recycle? Well, that's part of the study. <laughs> but <laughs> Prior research suggests that people want to feel good about their behavior and people do get this warm glow effect when they do nice things for other people or other organizations. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of hoping that that would be something that we would see motivating people to use the machines in our study. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, we're not, uh, it, I always say marketing would be a lot easier if it was just a bunch of rational consumers, you know, walking around making optimal decisions the way they go. Uh, the reason I study it is because consumer behavior is interesting. Consumers do odd things and it's not, it's not so simple. Uh, so yeah. So what other, are there other factors that 
you, you might be looking at or exploring here that might affect recycling behavior? Yeah, so we're also looking at giving people voting options. So for instance, if we allow them to vote for a particular charity to donate their bottle or can to, is that more motivating than you know us picking and just telling them where it's gonna go? Um, another thing that we're going to test with this whole voting idea is what the, uh, the bottle or can become. So, you know, it, it could become another bottle or can, of course, but it could also become a bicycle or a sweater or any number of items um, that can actually get very complicated once you talk to the, the um, materials recovery center. <laughs> There's a whole chain of uh, folks and businesses involved there uh, that dictate what might ultimately come of that item, but kind of giving consumers some basic options of, is this gonna become another one of the same or is it gonna become something totally different in its next life? Yeah, yeah that's that interesting. So do we know any anything about that? I mean, is it more, you know, intuitively as I think about this, uh, the, the idea of reincarnation of my bottle uh, or uh, bottle reincarnation is is really exciting. Like, what what could I be creating and being part of this? It's it's kind of like a, there's a one of my favorite papers called the preference for potential, and that people like the idea of potential more than actual um, being. And so to be able to be part of something new and different, it, 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 my intuition is it would be better to not a, a new bottle is exciting, but telling me I could be making a new sweater for a kid that might not be able to afford a sweater is even more exciting. Yeah, I don't know. Agreed. Is there... agreed. Yeah. That's, that's along the lines of what we were thinking. Um, and you know, we'll see what happens with, with the research, what people yeah. do. Uh, as they as say, it's an empirical question and yeah, I'm excited. Well, we'll, we'll have to stay tuned and have you, have you back on, uh, when, when we get some more data as well. So, um, when, when we think about, you know, as, as you've studied this, uh, this question of, uh, of recycling behaviors and, and, you know, sustainability decisions of consumers, are there other reasons that, that we think that people uh, don't recycle or don't want to engage in these, um, uh, in, in these type of behaviors? And Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few reasons that people may not recycle. And one is it's not convenient. Um, there's a mm -hmm. senior scholar in my field who told me recently, I firmly believe in people's laziness. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's not meant to be negative, but we all have so many de demands on our time um, that we have to be very choosy with how we use our time. And people tend to gravitate towards what's easy. Tons of research has shown that not only in the sustainability domain, but across many, many domains. So, you know, for instance, in the recycling domain, if there's not a bin nearby, people are far less likely to walk across the room to recycle than if you give them a bin, you know, for instance, right next to their desk at their, at their office. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another an easy, issue... an easy, if I'll just jump in here, is the easy is also habit. I mean, the easiest thing is just continuing to doing what I did last time and not, you know, that, that that's easier than trying to interrupt that habit. Absolutely. Yeah. And then another issue uh, is that a lot of items have multiple parts and some parts can be recycled and other parts can't. So for instance, uh, even a, a plastic bottle that has the plastic ring at the top 
Oftentimes mm -hmm. the ring is not recyclable, but the rest of the bottle is. And I believe mm -hmm. that is the case on campus. So people probably aren't going to take the bottle apart to recycle it. Um, it's confusing. The information is not clear. How do you even convey that to a consumer? Uh -huh. um, particularly with like all the different types of items that could potentially be recycled, you know, you'd be dismantling lots of different things and right. it's confusing and it's also going to require a higher level of effort. Right. And now it's, that's uh, just not worth it. I got to figure out which part is there, which is not. And it's just like all these touch points. You know, I, I recently uh, learned that, that there's bo like bottles with necks, like, and this goes with the, the, the you know plastic soda bottles are highly recyclable they're, they're they're very efficient and it's i think it's a number one plastic but it's different than other number one plastic so there's other number ones like clamshells and things that are they they seem like they should be recyclable in the same way but they're not and and they're much more costly and so i, I got into this and 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 uh was was trying to figure this out recently and i can see that it you know it just gets complicated for consumers and they often, like we said, we're creatures of habit. We like simple. We got a lot of things going on right now. Um, so, you know, I can, I can see that. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, one, one thing that comes up and in discussions about recycling behavior, and I think about this as a, as a former colleague once kind of said, perhaps tongue in cheek or jester, I don't know, it might've been serious, but, you know, is it really even worth it to recycle? And I hear this criticism that it's all, it takes all this energy anyway to haul it away and then turn it into something else. And are we even really getting there? And, you know, do we have any idea about how much we're actually saving or whether consumers even believe this, that this recycling thing happens or is that, is that an issue that comes up ever? I think so. And I think you're hitting on two points. One, which is what is, the actual environmental benefit of recycling and then number two what do consumers think or perceive that benefit to be right and so the actual you know environmental benefits you would have to do a whole life cycle analysis and those things have been done and i know there's been changes in the economy recently with regards to where items go but in general um, when you recycle you're reducing the amount of waste that's sent to landfills and incinerators um, and when waste is decomposing, it outgasses methane, which has a higher forcing power on the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. So that's bad. And the extent to which we can avoid that uh, is a benefit. Additionally, you know, not having to make and mine new materials to create new bottles is another benefit um, because we're just kind of recycling the materials that come in um, as used products. So we're not having to extract as much. So moving, moving that, that, that aluminum can is much cheaper than digging in the ground and mining for new aluminum. I don't know exactly about cheaper, but definitely or, better for yeah. the environment. Yes. For environmental cost. Yeah. Thank you. for yeah. Covering. yeah. Yeah. So those are, I think, two key benefits um, of recycling. And then there's the consumer perception issue, which is there has been a lot in the news lately about you know, China is not accepting all the recyclables yeah. from the US that it used to. And so mm -hmm. now recycling is not as good and this and that. And, you know, consumers hear this and they make of it what they will. And perception is reality, someone once told me. So yeah, that's the marketing mantra. <laughs> so yeah, if people think that it's not beneficial, then they may be even less likely to do it. Mm -hmm. So, so 
if if we get um, if, if this project uh, suggests that people might be recycling more, you know, it, you're doing this at the sh- at the shot at, at a at a arena, great arena here in town to see uh, Ohio State Buckeye basketball and and, and uh, hockey and other sports. Does it go any further than that, though? I mean, so maybe you increase recycling there at the game, but is there any um, downstream consequences this might have? Well, the hope is, I guess, threefold from from where I'm sitting. Number one, um, if we see that these machines are useful, that people will use them and they will use them correctly, um, the hope is that we would place them in more locations on campus and across the community. And in fact, there are a lot of these machines in the state up north that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my incoming grad students, when I told him about this project, he was like, oh yeah, we have a bunch of those in Nameless State. So <laughs> he was already familiar with them. Whereas when I first heard about the RVM, I was like, what in the world is a reverse vending machine? <laughs> so I hadn't heard of it. So. Um, Ideally, we're spreading these throughout the community once we can establish that people will use them properly. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the messaging strategies that we're using, hopefully we can apply that to waste management in a variety of contexts. So it doesn't necessarily have to be restricted to this machine, mm-hmm. but the idea is we could be using similar messaging for regular recycling programs right. for you know what we have here in Columbus, for instance. And then um the third thing um in some of my prior work we found that when people start composting so different waste management behavior Mm, um, they're more likely to engage in other household waste management behaviors Ah, including energy and water conservation so if people start recycling whereas maybe they previously hadn't been or hadn't been doing so correctly it's possible that we would see this positive spillover effect where they would be engaging in other sustainable behaviors in other domains. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and there's a general psychological need for people to be consistent. So, you know, if they start recycling in one situation, they're not going to uh, not, you know, avoid it in another one because that, that, that creates some dissonance and conflict and people like to have kind of consistent identities if, if there's one thing we know from social psychology research. Uh, really interesting stuff, uh, Nicole. Um, I think we're about out of time here. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot. And I think this is a really interesting and pressing topic. Um, and uh, it, it's just a great blend of trying to understand consumer behavior and marketing and how that impact can have on you know, supply chains, operations in a business, and, uh, and then also affect uh, the environment and the community that, that's around us. So I think it's a good plug for our executive programs here at Fisher which I always like to try to work into the discussion as, as some of the things that we talk about. So I really appreciate you coming here today. Best of luck in your research. Um, and, and please keep us posted on the, on, on the results and maybe we'll have you uh, and Grant here back uh, in, in, in the future when we get some more data and, and we can talk about it some more. We would love that. Great, thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or information about executive education program offerings, please visit fisher.osu.edu.